0: All right, so 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. And she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. Let's pause for a moment there. We're introduced to Absalom. His sister Tamar and Amnon, their half-brother. Now, just to kind of give you an idea of who's who. Absalom and Tamar were born to David and Makkah. Amnon was David's firstborn son, born to David and Ahinoam. So, we know because of that, Amnon was the crown prince. He was next in line to the throne of Israel. Absalom was the grandson of Talmai, who is king of Jeshur, uh, which is an Aramaean city-state located northeast of the Sea of Galilee between Bashan and Hermon. So at this point, in just the first couple verses, we're quickly introduced to Amnon's character. We see here in just these two verses that he was, you could say, a man of little to no restraint, no personal restraint. He had some, but not much. His integrity, you could say at this point, was frail. As it seems that he had, like he had no discipline over his emotions. Specifically, as we see here, the emotion of lust. He had little, little restraint from that. We'll see how frail it really is in a few moments. As we'll see... Amnon seemed to be missing his moral compass, and he was easily led by his emotions and others. Amnon is described here as loving his sister, Tamar, uh, so much so that it made him feel sick. So he made this, as we read there, he made himself sick by the love, it says here, by the love that he had for his sister, Tamar. In fact, it's described as being a, a, a... feeling of torment he was so just uh love struck by his sister we know siblings love each other but i've never known a brother and his sister to feel sick in this way or feel tormented about their love love for each other so this love right from the beginning we see that it was something different and and it wasn't actually love at all We're going to see how that proves itself, but this wasn't love at all. This was lust, and that's what we have before us. Amnon wanted, it says here, to do something to Tamar. And the only thing that's restraining him at this point is the fact that she's a virgin, and according to his perspective, this prevented him from being with her intimately. Not simply because it was uh, wrong in God's eyes, but just, she was virgin, and it was custom that you don't lie with a virgin unless she is your wife. You make her your wife. Now, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 6 says, None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. Now, the law had already been established. And so we see this as something that David knew. And so did Amnon, so did Absalom, so did Tamar. This was nothing new this is something that each one of them had learned from their youth. So Leviticus in 186 was very well known by them. In fact Leviticus just three three uh, verses later in Leviticus chapter 18 verse 9 it says you shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter or your mother's daughter whether brought up in the family or in another home. Um, Let's also take a look at Leviticus chapter 18 and then a few verses after that, verses 24 through 30. Just again, we want to put things in proper perspective. The feelings that Amnon had toward his sister Tamar were not appropriate and he should have kept himself in check. And yet he didn't. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 24 says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these, the nations I'm driving out before you have become unclean. So these were common. As you look at earlier in the chapter, these are the very things that were happening in Egypt and shouldn't be happening within the nation of Israel. That was the whole point as as, uh, the Lord had laid down the law and given it to Moses. So he passed it along to the nation of Israel so that they would keep themselves from such things that would defile God's people. They are to be holy, set apart unto the Lord. Verse 26 says, but you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord, your God. So again, nothing new. It was common for them to know, and they knew that very well. And here was a man by the name of Amnon who was not governed at all by God's word. There was no mention of it. He wasn't grieved. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into And left without walls. Anything can freely come in and out of that type of life. And that life is plundered of all that has any value. It will be left lifeless and barren. Well, Amnon, it says here, as we continue, had a friend. Let's see what kind of counsel this friend had to give to Amnon. Verse 3 says, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Well, the script was laid out and he followed it to a team. Now we're introduced to this friend, this friend of Amnon, Jonadab. In fact, we learn from this that not only was he a good friend, well, he was a friend, but he was also his cousin. Jonadab was King David's nephew, son of Shimea, which was David's brother. Jonadab was wondering why Amnon, as he saw him day in and day out in the morning, he just looked haggardly. He looked Exhausted. He looked fatigued. He looked like he was so concerned, so worried. And so he asked, "Hey, why aren't you telling your your good friend exactly why it is that you're looking? You're looking horrible, Amnon. What what's up with you?" Well, he told him. And Jonadab, as we see here, he's described as being a man that was very crafty. He was. Um, he was shrewd. He was wise. But you could say that in our terms today that he was, he was very smart. He was an intelligent man. He was shrewd. He was very crafty. But he was street smart. That's what he was. He was street smart. A wickedly smart dude who had no morals. A dangerous person to have as a friend. We notice here that Jonadab and Amnon really didn't have to say much to each other to understand what the other was desiring and intending. And there was no personal restraint with Jonadab. And the same thing is reflected in Amnon, maybe even less with Amnon. His counsel was filled with deceit, manipulation, and wicked intentions. It was all to lead Amnon down a path of destruction. That's all it was. Turn with me to James chapter 3. It does matter where you get your counsel from, it does. If you just want to have your itch satisfied, then you can go anywhere. You can go get worldly counsel. and Or a friend that doesn't give godly counsel, and and they'll tell you whatever it is that you want to hear. You can justify it, and it really doesn't matter. But for us as Christians, we really need to be careful where we get our counsel. Because... In James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Demonic. There's much there to unpack, and we don't have time to unpack that. But I would highly suggest that you make a note of James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. That is the type of counsel that you ought to treasure, that you ought to value. Again, someone that will be impartial, that will give you um, the truth without holding back, and at the same time, having a genuine love for you that they will lay it out so that you may know the truth of God's word, apply it, and therefore walk in it. The counsel that Amnon received was earthly. It was unspiritual. And it was demonic. That's how it's described in James 3.15. That's exactly what we see here, given to Amnon by his friend Jonadab. Earlier, it said that Amnon, he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. But he wasn't really sick. He wasn't sick health-wise. There was nothing wrong with him whatsoever. He was just full of uncontrollable lust toward his sister Tamar. But now, Jonadab is saying, capitalize on that. You look horrible already, basically. So lay down, anyone would believe that you're not feeling well. Act like you're really sick. Pretend to be ill so that when your dad, when David comes to see you, you can request that Tamar specifically come to you, bake some cakes, and feed you by her own hand. But notice that Jonadab didn't have to tell Amnon to do anything once he had Tamar close into himself. He didn't tell him anything. He just said all you have to do is bring her in close. Amnon, you know what to do from there. And all he had to do is give the nod, and Amnon knew. The intentions in the counsel matched perfectly. Evil or demonic counsel doesn't have to be explicit in order for it to be accurate and applicable to the person. I'm going to repeat that because sometimes we play these games, you know, and we hear people say things and sidestep and kind of act like, like as if, well, I haven't said it explicitly. So, I, you know, it, it it wasn't something that I said. No, but you explicitly implicitly put it in such a way or omitted certain things that the other person knew exactly what you were talking about, what you were communicating. Evil or demonic counsel does not have to be explicit in order for it to be accurate and applicable to the person. Don't be deceived. Don't don't allow yourself to go down this path and, and be confused by someone who's doing this very thing. Jonadab did that with Amnon, and Amnon knew exactly what he was giving counsel and how he was talking to him. I know what to do from here. We have the same heart. As long as the council leads people to fulfill their worldly, fleshly, and lustful desires, then it is accurate and is interpreted correctly and applied with great understanding. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived, bad company, ruins good morals wake up from your drunken stupor as is right verse 34 and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of god i say this to your shame if bad company ruins good morals what does bad company do to bad morals it just compounds them it just gets worse and worse and worse Bad company helps bad morals become evil acts that leads a person down a path of destruction. Now, in contrast, I'm going to give you Psalm chapter 1. There's only six verses in this chapter. But I wanted to contrast what we're looking at here with good counsel. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, we know and understand, Scripture is familiar to us. Especially as we continually are exposed to Scripture, we know these things. We know what's set before us, and so we are without excuse. We have knowledge and we have understanding. Well, Amnon, we see here, had no moral filter. And so he quickly followed his friend's advice. Why? Because he wanted to fulfill the passions that were at war within him. He desired what he didn't have, and he schemed with a wicked person to fulfill his lust. I really would hope that we as Christ followers would be quick to follow sound, biblical advice just as quickly as Amnon was quick to follow this demonic advice from his friend, Jonadab. We ought to be really quick to take scripture, to take that which is given to us and apply it to our lives quickly. There's nothing to ponder, nothing to pray about, Just as Nathan confronted David and David realized that he was truly the man, there's nothing to consider. It's just, Lord, you are right. You are true. Well, David did just as Jonadab said he would. When Amnon played sick, his dad came to see him. And when his dad came to see him, Amnon requested for Tamar to tend to him personally and David sent for her. Verse 7. It says, Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was laying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his side and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. Let's stop there for a moment. Hey, Jonadab's sinister plan worked well, to a T. I mean, it just worked, so it gets scripted perfectly. Amnon followed the script. Tamar went to Amnon's home to serve him, hoping he'd feel better after having some of her homemade goodies. You know, she was she was sincere. She was genuine. She was being obedient to her father, sending for you come tend to your brother Amnon. He's sick. He's ill. Make him these cakes and and feed these to them well, to him. And so she did. She had a sincere, genuine desire to be obedient to her father, and to bless her brother. She made the cake and served him. But he wouldn't eat it. He just left it there. At that point, he ordered everyone out of the room. Just everyone, make everyone leave. He called his servants, and so he had them take everyone else out, but leave Tamar there with him. And then he called her into... His room, his bedroom, and asked her to feed him like he would a baby, spoon-fed. Amnon was manipulating and deceiving Tamar. And in so doing, we also see how he did the very same thing to his father, David. David. What Amnon requested in verse 6 was that Tamar go to him to make some cakes in his presence that he may eat from her hand. In other words, Amnon made it sound like he would be content and satisfied if he ate some of her home cooking. You know, sometimes when we were ill, you know, we could be feeling horrible, but there's nothing like some good home cooking. And so, of course, for, for David, he thought, well, this sounds reasonable, of course, you know. What? What would you not do to have your son be better, feel better? Like, absolutely. I'll have Tamar come and make you some food and make sure that you feel good. But Amnon, unfortunately, had a different meaning and intent to his words. He was taking advantage of his father. And as we see here, he was manipulating and deceiving Tamar. He had bad intentions towards her. So Amnon asked Tamar to come into his room that, again, he may literally be spoon-fed by her. Verse 11 says, But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. In other words, Amnon rapes Tamar, his sister. Amnon obviously fully reveals his intentions and follows through with him now. Instead of receiving the food from Tamar and finding comfort in it, he grabs her physically, grabs her as she comes near him and tells her to lay with her, lay with him. At that moment, Tamar sees his lustful intentions and his forceful, depraved actions and matching words, and refuses his advancements in a way that gave him a way out and attempted to protect her honor. So even in that moment, she revealed herself to be a very honorable woman. She was one that was trying to talk some reason into him, knowing the, the severity of the situation that they were in. Was trying to reason with him at the, in the moment. First of all, she asked him not to humiliate her because she knew that if he followed through with his intent, then she would live in shame for the rest of her life. And she would never be able to marry again. And remember that this was a world in which honor was more important than life itself. And so with that, she was basically asking Would you consider me your sister, Tamar, personally? Will you please just consider me the shame that would come upon me? I would be ruined for the rest of my life. Can you please, Amnon, consider that? If not that, then the second thing, Tamar also told Amnon that this was something completely contrary to Israelite custom. Uh, The Mosaic Law, to be exact. So she was telling him, would you go against your people overall? Would you go against the law that you know well? But thirdly, she challenged him in a different way. She tried to reason with him, saying, look, Amnon, you still have a chance. You still have an opportunity right now to do the right thing and ask the king for my hand. He won't withhold anything from you. Now, is she correct in saying that? The answer is no. But at this point, she obviously knew the law would not allow this and was trying to buy some time and convince, convince him to stop what he was doing. But consider it. Tamar told him she would have nowhere to go. And he would be considered an outrageous fool for doing what he did. It would be a loss all the way around. She was pleading with him. And this was good counsel. And yet he did not listen. He was blinded by his lust for her. And he was blinded by his pride in the moment. Whether it be sexual immorality, prideful gain, unjustifiable actions, fear, enmity, hatred, jealousy, anger, dissensions, divisions, envy, or anything else like these that is opposed to God, these are the things that will blind and bind. It will blind the person so that they will not allow themselves to understand truth and reason. In other words, you will exhibit a depraved mind that is completely blind. You making yourself unable to receive any truth, any reason, according to God's word. And therefore, be bound to the sin and given to the consequences thereof. As you sow, God's law says, so shall you reap. First Thessalonians. I want to go um, to First Thessalonians chapter four, and verse three. It says, "For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God." That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so it is very clear that. You know, For God, as far as the Gentiles are concerned, he doesn't expect anything different because they don't know anything different. They don't, they don't look at Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as God, as Lord. He is not their authority. He's not the one that governs them. And so therefore, you would expect the world to act like the world, but not God's people. They are to be self-controlled, not given to sexual immorality knowing that the will of God is our sanctification, being set apart from the world and unto the Lord, being holy for he is holy. Well, Amnon, the outrageous fool, forced himself physically on Tamar, and he sexually raped her. Verse 15 It says, Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Amnon's uh, lust-driven love immediately turned into an intense hatred. I'm, I'm thinking with this, that immediately he felt uh, shame and regret. Obviously not satisfaction and contentment. This this is always what sin will do. You see, temptation promises the fulfillment of a deep longing. Deceitfully telling you that unless you follow through, you will never be satisfied. You will never be content. But the moment you give in to that temptation, the tempter becomes the accuser and points out your sin. Have you ever been there? It's like something that you really want, you desire it. And you know, that, that's not the right thing. It could, it could be so many different things. And then you finally give in to it, you, you have it, and it doesn't bring the satisfaction that you thought you would come to know if you obtain whatever it is could be a car could be whatever i know and with single people normally it's a, it's someone else if if i just have somebody like like a boyfriend you know and i i have that that person that i'll be satisfied that'll be it no actually you know what as a christian be satisfied with the lord first and be content with him and as he provides someone for you you will perhaps learn to be content together in Christ and you will be a blessing to each other. It's always this way. It's always this way. The moment you give in to that temptation, the accuser comes and points out your sin. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus saying, speaking, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Revelation twelve ten says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. He is the father of lies. He is the deceiver. And he's also the accuser. And this is Satan's work. Even at this, Tamar, knowing the devastating implications of Amnon's actions, knowing that she could never marry another, and her only, at this point, her only possible marriage partner now is Amnon. That, that was it. It was done. She was absolutely done. She even at that point told him, don't, don't put me out. At this point, Amnon, you made a mistake. You did what you did. But there's, there's no other way. That we can take care of this. Don't put me out. Because if you follow through with that. This is going to be worse than what you did just a few moments ago. As wrong as it was initially. Tamar was still trying to convince Amnon to now do what was right. It's quite amazing. I mean, if you think about Tamar, she thought in the moment, she was trying to reason with him prior to him committing this sin. And even afterwards, she was thinking. And she thought, you know what? This is the only way. Amnon, don't send me out. Don't do this. It's going to be worse than your first one. Amnon had satisfied his lust at her expense. And now he was done with her. Just done. Lust always does this. If lust and when lust is satisfied, it's always at someone else's expense. Lust acted upon will always use someone to fulfill someone else's unrestrained desires and then leave them empty and unsatisfied. Again, Amnon's hatred of her now exceeded his lust for her. I know it says love, but is that really love? And then he ordered her to be put out of his room. So he didn't receive what she had told him. Completely disgusted by her. So at this point, I want nothing to do with you. In fact, he called his servant and he said, put her out and lock the door behind her. Don't allow her to come back in. She left disgraced, weeping, putting ashes on her head and tearing her long, beautiful robe that signified that she was a virgin. These long robes, you think about Joseph. Joseph had a had a coat of many colors, so it was a long robe. It 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 was a um, it was a um, a symbol of of honor. Um, the person who would wear this robe was one that. Uh, Uh, would not have to do hard labor, would do some very light work. She was a princess. No more. Never. Now she was grieving, broken, humiliated, and disgraced. To my single sisters in Christ, if any man is implicitly or explicitly pressuring you to have sex with him, don't you dare give in to him. Don't give him what he wants, especially if you think that by doing so, you will keep him. Lust will drive you to do that which is opposed to God and is sinful, whereas love will drive you to be disciplined and honor God as you honor your relationships with others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Think about this. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Put whatever it is that someone's trying to make you do up against that. Is it really love? Oh, I really love you. I really really just desire you really okay well then we wait if you're the one then we wait we wait until after we're married because love is as it is described in 1st Corinthians chapter 13 if you really love not lust and if you really love God and that person, then you will wait, and make sure you don't allow yourself to be alone in a place you know you shouldn't be, and te- test your flesh with temptation. You know that that's one of those things to where it's like you, you play with fire. You get play with fire, you get you get burned. You do. You you play enough with it to where it's like, oh, you know, we're 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 really disciplined. We're restrained. We can you know be on our own and. And, and nothing will happen. Just come over to my apartment. We're cool. Well, who else is there? Any, any of your friends? No, but we're, we're good, right? Yeah, we're good. Yeah. No, not a good, not a good idea. You got to think. You got to think. Don't test the flesh with temptation. All right, verse 20. Let's continue. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. It's interesting that um, neither Tamar nor Absalom went to David. Neither one of them did. It's believed that they didn't go to him because he tended to be very lenient toward his sons. And it was even thought he excused many things that he shouldn't have. Perhaps it was a consequence of his own sin and compromise. Absalom encouraged Tamar to hold her peace and to not take this matter any further. And Absalom took her into his own house, and he took care of her, knowing that she would never be able to marry again. As for David, all it says is that he was angry. He was, he was very angry. Oh, beside himself! Right? I'm so I'm so angry, so angry, so angry. And then did absolutely. You hear crickets, right? Did nothing. It's recorded here that he did absolutely nothing. Should David have held his son Absalom accountable for his own actions? Well, maybe he should have covered his own son's sins because after all it was his son, right? You and I both know that as parents will go to any lengths to protect our children, even if they're wrong, right? We should ask some teachers and principals if this is indeed what happens with all kids. It's not. Unfortunately, the way the world sees things oftentimes is contrary to the way God sees things. Because it sounds like the parent that will do that will lie, cheat, and steal in order to help the child avoid any consequences of their actions. In this manner, they will never learn. They will never believe that they can, and they will never learn, and they will believe that they can get away with everything and anything. As much as it is painful, a father who loves as a father does and should will discipline will even rebuke and reprimand when necessary. Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Chast- chastises is not, you know, a little, you know, like a little reprimand. no, no. The way the Bible describes chastisement is is punishment, actually. It's like there's discipline. Discipline is what? It's when you're, you're training up a child, right? So you're correcting, you're guiding, you're leading, you're explaining, you're sharing, you're showing them how, right? But if they deliberately transgress, if they go down the wrong path, then it's time to bring out the leather. Then it's time for a little... It's interesting, God God designed us and he created us in such a way that when we have a misunderstanding, when we just don't get things as kids, it's interesting how the nerves of understanding, they are connected from this part of our body right here, all the way to our brains and our hearts. And instantly, as soon as a little pressure is applied back here, all of a sudden we get clarity and we understand in much the same way there are times the lord has to chastise us so that we are maybe awakened from our stupor and that we come to an understanding because it says here in hebrews chapter 12 that god disciplines the one he loves if you read on in Hebrews chapter 12, it explains more about that discipline. Well, Absalom did not uh, did nothing at the moment, but his heart was full of revenge, and he'll demonstrate a patience to, to know that full revenge. His revenge will be carefully calculated, precise, and complete, and he'll wait some time. The remainder of this chapter and the next are the results of this sin, And the further consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba. Verse 23, let's continue. It says, after two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Bel-Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, no, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. And then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, uh, Mark, when Amnon's heart is merry, with wine. And when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be, be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. Two years. He waited. Two years. At this point, Absalom invited all the king's sons and King David himself, his father, to an end-of-the-year celebration of the sheep-shearing season. This was common. This is something that they did year in and year out. This was an annual event. And after King David politely declined the invitation, he gave his blessing, and then Absalom asked if the crown prince would attend. Perhaps he was asking him kind of in a way to where, well, if he won't come out, perhaps he can come out in your stead, basically representing you. King David agreed, and all of his other sons were invited and went to this event. And we know that Absalom gave the orders to his servants to kill Amnon when he was good and feeling really good with wine. Having drunk some wine, get him, have him lower his inhibitions with that wine and he'll be off guard. And at that point, kill him. And they did. Well, at that very moment, of course, the rest of the brothers thought, all right, well, Absalom is killing all of us. He started with Amnon, the crown prince, and now he's going to go down the line and he's going to kill all of us. So they mounted their mules and they fled, fearing for their own lives. If Amnon was a bit nervous about going to Absalom's party at first, the wine definitely relaxed him to the point to where he'd lower his guard enough to be killed. They all scattered and went in different directions. Um, We know by how it's described that they came back to where David was that they came from different directions. They didn't come from the same way that they traveled um, to this event. Now, verse 30, let's continue. says, while they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord, the king, so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. So at first, David was told that Absalom had killed all of his sons, and he responded by tearing his garments, lying on the floor, on the earth. But then, ironically, someone spoke up. A familiar voice. Jonadab, his nephew. He told him, uh, no, all your, your sons are fine. It was, it was just damning. He purposed in his heart from the time that he violated, he raped his sister, Tamar. Absolutely. Basically waited for two years to do this. But no, the rest of your sons are fine. He knew this very well. He was the whole reason why this was taking place. He encouraged Amnon to rape Tamar. Well, at this point again, we don't see a reaction from David, and that is no Response to what Absalom did, there was no shock, there was no surprise. there was nothing, at least it 's not described that way that way. The reason why he was grieving was because he thought all of his sons were dead verse thirty four But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, as your servant said. So it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. So it was, as I had said, you know, the the person who was keeping watch was looking one way, and they came from all kinds of different directions, from behind him and the sides. And so obviously the king's sons were... in in such shock, and they were smart enough to to take off in different directions to make sure that they weren't next to be killed. Well, Jonadab's news was confirmed, and David and his servants wept, and they grieved Amnon's death. Perhaps had David David taken action against Amnon for raping Tamar, Absalom wouldn't have been compelled to take matters into his own hands. And David actually, you could say in one way, contributed to the murder of Amnon by not acting on what he should have. You know, as, as, as fathers, and I, I just want to speak to fathers. I know mothers have a responsibility as well. But as fathers, we have a responsibility to apply discipline. Why? Because it applies correction to our children. It, it um, instills in them the understanding of... Of what's right and wrong and if we fail to discipline action that is wrong that is actually transgression then what we're doing is we're, we're spoiling spoiling them in such a way that later on it could have consequences and an impact that far exceed what you thought a little pain in the moment would be experienced so we have a responsibility In Exodus chapter 22, verses 16 and 17, it tells us what should be done when a man seduces and lies with a virgin that he's not engaged to. It's also covered in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 and 29. So it's something that David should have applied to Amnon, and yet he failed to do so. So David failed to apply biblical discipline and left Absalom to apply his own justice to Amnon's shameful act. Verse 37 it says, but Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the, the son of Amid, king of Jeshur. And David mourned for, so this was his grandfather, and David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Jeshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Again, David failed to respond with biblical accountability and simply longed to see Absalom. Absalom, he, he killed his brother Amnon. And it was, it was you could say, it was, um, it was capital punishment for a non-capital crime. Amnon had not killed his sister. He had not, yes, as grievous as it was, as just evil as it was, it, it was not murder. He should have gone back to Deuteronomy 22. He should have gone back to Exodus 22 and applied that to the situation and really held Amnon accountable and had him go, perhaps even in that sense, to his daughter or whatever it was. Maybe he was to pay. He was just to just hold him accountable. But now even with Absalom, he was not holding him accountable for murder Perhaps it was because David himself had done the very same thing with Uriah. It's kind of difficult. You know, sometimes we, as, as we commit a sin, and someone else commits a sin that is like ours, somehow, and for some reason, we find it difficult to hold them accountable for the very same thing. Even after we've repented, we've been restored, we've been walking with the Lord. And it's at that point that we cannot, especially fathers, I'm talking to you. The Lord is talking to us. We cannot hold back discipline from our children when they commit a sin that needs to be disciplined, needs to be corrected. We cannot. They can call you. It doesn't matter. They can call you whatever it is. It doesn't matter. You know, it's not me that you're opposing. It's God's word that you're opposing. And you want to make sure to hold him accountable. Well, David was failing to hold Absalom even accountable. Three years passed before there would be any movement with Absalom. The same thing he did with Amnon, David was now doing with Absalom. And his failure to hold him accountable will come back to get David again, as we'll see next week. The stage was now set for the most violent phase of God's judgment against the house of David. May we learn from these events, being mindful of how we can ignore warnings and overlook our own weak flesh, even our overcompensating for past personal failures and not acting on the sin of others, especially those who we are responsible for in our own household within our own ministries may god give us discernment may god god give us the confidence to walk with him and walk in his truth and may our hindsight be someone else's foresight may we help to warn others to not walk in the same way perhaps in the same path that we have that they may be blessed that they may know what it means to walk uprightly before the lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us in your word. Lord, what a sad account. But at the same time, Lord, all these things serve us. Lord, they serve us, Lord, to give us wisdom. Lord, that the errors of even David and Absalom and Amnon, Lord, may may help us understand those things that we ought to stay away from. Being careful, being mindful of some emotions that perhaps are we've allowed to get out of control within us. Lord, warning us that that could lead down a path of destruction. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for instructing us this evening and helping us, Lord, to trust you, and to walk with you in an upright manner. And so, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us understand your truth. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.